Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so grateful and excited you are joining me today for a conversation with Ed Everts. And Ed is a leadership coach and author who helps successful leaders raise their visibility and value in their organization and industry. He coaches mid to senior level business professionals and their teams to higher levels of performance and success. Individuals and corporations increasingly turn to coaching to transform the variety of challenges facing today's leaders into opportunities, and Ed is helping with that. He is also the author of the book, Raise Your Visibility and Value, Uncover the Lost Art of Connecting on the Job. Ed, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Great, great. Great to be here, Andy. Yeah, good to have you on. Uh, We were introduced a while back, and uh, I was excited to talk to you because I am very, I don't know, passionate, excited about the idea of coaching. I do a little bit. I've worked with coaches. I've seen the value. I work with a lot of clients who bring coaches into their organization and and see the value. And and some maybe haven't taken that step. And so I thought it'd be good to talk to you about coaching as well as the book that you wrote, Raising Your Visibility and Value, because that's something that uh, I think is important as well. So glad we got got this going on today. Great. All right. So before we get into that stuff, uh, why don't we start with a little bit of your background and tell us uh, how you got to where you are today? Sure. So I spent about 20 years in retailing in New England. The retailers, of course, are no longer around and uh, transitioned to my last corporate opportunity at a company called Iron Mountain, which is based in Boston. And I left that company in 2008 after about 20 years in human resources leadership and decided to take the summer off, which in corporate, I barely had more than two weeks off in a row, let alone a summer. So I took the summer off. My wife was also a teacher, so the timing was perfect. And we, um, I spent most of the time networking and speaking with people about coaching. You know, coaching was just something that I, uh, interestingly, had a great love for. Though ironically, I never was the benefiter of uh, in my corporate career. So I spent most of the summer networking with people, learning what they did, how they did it, when they did it. And by the end of the summer, made the decision to transition to my own independent practice, providing leadership coaching. So today I help uh, 
leaders in a variety of ways. Uh, one is one-on-one -on -one leadership coaching, where I work with leaders one-on-one -on -one to help them be more successful in their organizations. I do team coaching, where I help leaders and their teams be more effective in their mission. And then I also do strategic thinking and planning, where I help leaders identify strategies that are important to their organization, and then also identify ways to put those into action. Very cool. And, and how long have you been doing this now? So I've been doing this for about 11 years. This is now my longest career opportunity. So I've been, <laughs> I've been doing this longer than any organization that I ever worked at. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast. It's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. So I'm, I'm going to go this route for a second because I know that I have a lot of listeners who are working in talent development in bigger companies and they've gotten certified as a coach and they probably enjoy coaching and have thought about, oh, I wonder what it would be like if I could go and work as a full-time coach or work on my own. But it's, it's really scary to do that. I have to find clients. It's easier to stay in this company and do it. How did you make that transition? Did you go get certified? And how did you start filling your... Uh, your schedule, if you will, with clients uh, going out on your own? So I recognized early on that I was really doing two things new. One was starting my own business. So whether I was going to be coaching or tailoring or auto repair, whatever it might be, I was starting my own business. And that comes with its own series of challenges and opportunities that you need to navigate and manage as time passes. And then I also wanted to become an expert in leadership development. And as an HR leader, as I mentioned, I worked for 20 years in the New England market. I was a generalist. So I knew something about everything, but I was not an expert per se in any of those topics. And in this next stage of my career, I wanted to become an expert in leadership development. So as I mentioned, started to network and speak with people throughout New England who are coaching and providing and doing coaching Based on everyone I met, I came to the conclusion that I too could make a living doing this. And then I also identified an organization called the International Coach Federation. And they're kind of the McDonald's of coaching. They're the largest coaching organization in the globe. And I joined the organization. I started to go to meetings. And then I also got a coach certification. Now, interestingly, while I got a coach certification through a company called IPEC, no prospect in the last 11 years has ever asked me if I have a certification. So, you know, networking is a, a huge plus to, you know, once you're in the door, it's your job to lose. So, uh, but I did want to get certified because it was such a competitive market in 2008 because we were experiencing a poor economy. You know, I wanted to show business owners that I wasn't just doing this as an interim transitional, but I was committed to coaching. 
So, uh, you know, those were just a few things that I did and it did take a while. So I'd love to say, you know, day one, I started landing engagement after engagement, but it did take a few years for things to start leveling out and me to start feeling good about the business. Yeah. The interesting thing about coaching and I've gotten, I've gone and gotten certified as a coach as well. And when I was looking into coaching, went out also and just talked to a lot of different people in my network and started connecting with different coaches to hear what they were doing and how successful they might be. What were they charging? And things were all over the board, all across the board, because it's such a disparate industry full of people doing different things. And what I found is that it's completely unregulated and there's no you don't have to get certified. And certainly every program is different and some are much better than others. But I definitely learned a lot by going through that process. And I'm, I'm guessing you did as well. And so is, is it something you'd still recommend for people that want to become a coach? Definitely. I, you know, I learned a lot that I wasn't sure I was going to learn. So I was a little bit of a whatever unconscious, incompetent, whatever that phrase is. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah. I learned... Uh, I wasn't sure what I would learn, but I did learn a lot about coaching practices, best practices, good behaviors, et cetera. And I also think that you know, at some time, at some point in our culture, having a certification will provide value. So I also did it because I wanted to take care of that while things were a little quieter in my business. Uh, so I would encourage people to look, investigate different coaching organizations that exist across the globe. And get certified so that you can also, you know, really distinguish yourself in the marketplace by having that certification. Yeah, I like what you did too about joining the International Coach Federation and networking with others and really learning from people. And then when it came to filling your practice, was it mostly about your network, getting out there and talking with people you've worked with in the past, other people you know, and, and getting introductions and referrals, or was it just something else you did to start getting into other companies? Yeah, I think everybody is on their own unique journey. I, you know, I don't think there's one way to become successful. And for me, it was really a blend. And quite honestly, Andy, I think it was like 60, 40 or 70, 30 and 60 or 70 were new connections that I was making in the marketplace now that I was networking more. You know, as a business employee for 20 years, I networked very, very little. And I was bleeding blue for the organizations I worked for and highly focused on the work that I was doing at those organizations and knew very few people in the marketplace. So it was a huge challenge for me in my first few years to be visible in the industry and recognized in the industry. And so I would say upon reflection that 60 to 70% of the engagements I have landed and continue to land are newer, fresher relationships than people I knew before I started to do this. Very cool. I, well, I appreciate providing that insight. And so now you've been doing this for 11 years. You've probably worked with dozens and dozens of different leaders across different companies. What are a couple of the more common challenges you've run across, the you know, problems that business leaders are dealing with where you know maybe they think they're on their own and then come to find out that there are a lot of people dealing with a similar challenge and, and how do you help them with those? Sure. Yeah. So let me share with you three things. I don't think any of these will be surprising because people who are out in the talent development market will hear these all the time. But, and this is experiential. So this is not theory or philosophical perspective on my part, but this is from the, my clients, right? These are what they're yeah. asking for when I meet with them. You know, the first one's communication, which is, you know, how do I be a better communicator to my team, my subordinates, to my peers and to bosses? And I think there are three different groups. And I think the way that you communicate to them are different. 
but a lot of people believe that they could be better, better at communicating what's happening and what's going on. And they're looking for strategies and ideas on how to do that. The second is conflict navigation. And I use the word navigation purposefully because I think conflict needs to exist in all relationships. There are just respectful ways to navigate it. And most people think the minute they open their mouth, when they want to talk with somebody about something tough, the conversation is going to fall apart and it's going to be a bad conversation. And so I work with clients and they are looking for ways to navigate conflict more effectively. And conflict culturally, especially in the United States of America, you know, is something we don't learn how to navigate. And I think in many ways, we're taught to avoid. And there will be a lot of people who will tell you, you know, oh, yeah, I avoid conflict. You know, as soon as the heat goes up, I'm out. And so I work with clients to help them navigate conflict more effectively. And then the last is what I would consider to be like change and clarity. A lot of people are at places in their career and they're not sure why they're there or how they got there or what they're supposed to be doing or there's been and what they're supposed to be doing now is different than what they were doing before, but no one has said anything. So you know, they're looking for help getting clarity around who they are, what they're doing and why they're doing it so they can navigate these changes more effectively. So by coincidence, they all begin with the letter C, but communication, conflict, change, clarity are all things that many clients are looking for when I work with them. Uh, those are interesting, and I can see those all being big issues for a lot of leaders out there. Communication is so important, and like you said, probably needs to be different whether you're communicating with your team, with your peers, your bosses. I want to drill into that conflict navigation because I am definitely one of those people that have avoided conflict most of my life. I always say that I'm conflict averse. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been able to build a ne- big network and have a lot of friends because I'm you know, a bit of a people pleaser. But what advice do you give to people who know they need to address a certain contentious issue, but they're just so afraid of conflict, they just want to run away, like you said? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a very accurate description. Most people do want to run away and avoid it. They want to follow the path of least resistance. And oftentimes, the best way to navigate conflict is through transparency and through sharing with somebody that you need to speak with, that you, number one, need to speak with them about something that might be tough for the two of you to talk about. Two, you've not talked about this with anybody before, so it may not come out elegantly from your mouth, but don't interpret that as it being tough or disrespectful, but I'm not exactly sure how to say what I need to say. And three, I'd love to share with you how I'm currently experiencing you. And then I'll be quiet and let you talk a little bit about why you are operating the way that you are so I can understand it better. Now, one of my favorite quotes is from Stephen Covey, his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's habit number five, which is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And we create so much conflict in the world because we oftentimes do the opposite. We seek first to be understood and then maybe to understand, mm-hmm. you know, curiosity is such a great way to avoid, I shouldn't say avoid, but navigate, you know, conflict more effectively. The more I can understand why you think what you think, yep. the better we'll navigate through whatever it is that we need to navigate through. Yeah. And that's such a great tenant, whether it's avoiding conflict or sales like I'm in or being successful in life in general. And I just recorded an episode that'll be out before this that is about 
the importance of being curious and really connecting and understanding the other person if you want to influence them or sell them on an idea or something and not just pitching what you think is the best thing before you truly understand what's going on with them and what's their frame of reference and, and you know building that rapport. And so doing all of those things, I would imagine, is going to help you avoid conflict spiraling out of control as well. Yeah, yeah, I know. And after 11 years of doing this, I'm seeing patterns of behavior that for reasons I don't know, because I'm not a sociologist, but, you know, for reasons I don't know, we are just not great at. And, you know, one of them is curiosity. And it's so, I hate to use the word powerful, but it is powerful to be very curious about why somebody thinks the way that they think to better inform your perspective, right? Because the more I know why we disagree, the better I can be at defending or explaining why I feel the way I feel. If I don't know why you feel the way you feel, and all I know is that it's different from me, I mean, that's not enough. I need to know more about you and why you're thinking what you're thinking so I can explain and share my thoughts as well. But, you know, for some reason, we just are not a highly curious species. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I would think that we are, but some people tend to just jump out and, and want to explain their side without really understanding the other. And then it's hard for them to relate and build that rapport and that common ground without asking those questions. So I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. And I hope if you're listening to this, if nothing else, you'll take away from this conversation that I need to be more curious. I need to seek to understand what people are thinking, especially if I'm trying to influence them in some way. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly with content such as creating a culture of multipliers, gender equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on helping rid the world of bad bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on decision-making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, calming the storm. We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulioni on developing in place how to continue your growth during remote working. And a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work plus many more, just head to our website at advantageperformance.com. Click on free resources and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Let's transition to your book now, which again is called Raise Your Visibility and Value, Uncover the Lost Art of Connecting on the Job. And that's a little bit of what we were just talking about. So I'm curious, you know, why did you write this book? And What's come of it since you did? Yeah, so I uh, started writing it once I left corporate America. And it really is comprised of experiences that I had working in corporate America. My own experiences as well as my observations of all of the many, many, many people that I helped through my human resources roles in those organizations. And you know, I just felt that while networking itself is an extremely important tool for people who are in transition or who are individual consultants, it's not as important for people who are employed and that there's a different activity that people need who are employed and that activity is raising your visibility. So how do I ensure 
that I am a highly visible person in my organization? And how do I ensure that I'm a highly visible person within my industry? Because at some point, you're going to need both of those to help you. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, I spent 20 years in organizations in New England. And while I might have been, although I ended up not being highly visible within my organizations, I was not visible at all within my industry. And then I left my job and needed the industry. And it was, I was starting from home plate. You know, I was needing to meet people and inter, uh, network with people and none of them I had ever met before. So, so I, I wanted to collect and identify what I consider to be seven visibility accelerators, which are things that people could do more often to be more visible. And at the same time, if you're going to be more visible, you also need to provide more value. And value is becoming an increasingly focused on word in conversations with recruiters and uh, hiring managers. You know, it's interesting to hear from your resume what you did, but what they really want to hear is why was the company different because you were there? You know, what value did you provide the organization that made that organization different? And so for folks who read the book, you'll find ideas on how to be more visible within your organization and industry, and then also how to identify ways to be more valuable within your organization. Yeah, I I learned that a long time ago. I haven't applied for a job in a long time, and I, I hope I never have to again. But I learned that a long time ago that you know a lot of times what companies are looking for, recruiters are looking for is it's great that you've had the this experience or this skills, these skills. But what value did you truly provide? And if you can say you know I completed X, which raised revenue or profit or improved this part of the business, whatever it is, prove that you were able to provide some value. Uh, it probably goes a long way and they can see how you might be able to provide value within that organization as well. And so you're saying, you know, obviously anywhere we work, we want to be valuable, right? Because that's going to make it fulfilling for us and exciting. But to be raise our visibility, we want to really focus on making sure we're providing value and we want to make sure that people know that we're providing that value as well. Yes, yes. You know, to your point, everybody provides some type of value, right? So oftentimes, if you talk to a CEO at an organization and say, hey, who's your most valuable employee? You know, they probably would say their executive assistant. You know, my executive assistant books my calendar, they manage my phone calls, they keep me active, etc. You know, that is the most valuable person to me. So everybody provides some degree of value. So in the book, I talk about three levels of value. One being individual value, which is something all of us provide and have opportunities to provide. The second is a little bit smaller, so it's a pyramid. So as you go up the pyramid, it's a little bit smaller, but it's value tied to internal financial drivers. So I do take the position that value is financially based. And in order to provide value at organizations, you need to tie yourself to the best way that you can to financial metrics that are important to your organization. And then the top part of the pyramid is value tied to external marketplace drivers. So these are fewer people who can affect this, but these are things that are external to the organization that you want to know about to provide the organization value. So for example, at Iron Mountain, paper price was a very important metric because if paper price was low, we could anticipate more people buying paper and hence having more paper to store. If paper price was high, we would anticipate less people buying paper and there's less paper to store. So 
you know, that's a value metric that only certain people can influence or be aware of. But to your point, everybody provides some type of value. What you need to know is what type of value you provide. Can I provide more value? How do I have a conversation with my boss where we can talk about that? Which also helps demonstrate my commitment and interest in the organization, growing and continuing to provide more value. Okay, so yeah, value everywhere. You wanted to focus on the individual value, internal financial drivers. And as you mentioned, you've got to pay attention to what are the financial drivers for your business, your industry, because at the end of the day, if you ask the CEO, you know, what do you care about? And certainly there's some more socially responsible businesses than others, but it's value they create for their share, their stakeholders. And a lot of that is measured in terms of financials, uh, whether it's profit, you know, net profit, operating profit, EBITDA, and sometimes revenue or other metrics. But you know, it's profit that usually driving to the business. And how are you contributing to that? What if you don't feel like you're in a position that is connected to financial metrics at all? For instance, I am, uh, you know, an HR generalist or in organizational development, and I'm definitely not in sales. I'm not bringing in more revenue, and I'm not really doing that much to reduce costs and increase our profit, how do I make sure that I'm providing value in a financial way? Yeah, I mean, everybody can provide value. The degree of value will vary dramatically. So people who are not tied directly to financials incur expenses, make purchases, and being more relevant in respect to what you're buying, how you're buying, how you're spending the company's money can be very, very critical to an organization. So if you're in talent development and you're looking externally for a vendor to come in and do something, ensuring that you're bidding out the work and meeting a number of vendors and not just going with your you know, former college roommate's best friend, etc., can help you provide greater value to your organization. Uh, you know, The activity people need to do is have a conversation with their boss to say, you know, thank you for the performance review, and I'm thrilled that I'm doing as well as you think that I'm doing. I'd love to provide more value to the organization. Can we identify two or three ways that I can do that? And really through that conversation, you may come up with ideas and ways that you know you and I talking today can't do on our own. Yeah, definitely. And I, I teach this in organizations as well. I've been running business simulations for many years. Uh, to improve business acumen and teach financial acumen and really show people in different parts of different companies that you can have an impact on the financials, especially the bottom line, whether it's uh, helping their company achieve certain strategic goals or controlling costs, like you mentioned, or finding ways to find efficiencies in different places or helping a project. Or if you're in talent development, you have the possibility, the ability to maybe put a program in place that is going to help develop leaders that will create new projects that you know provide more revenue, or maybe you're training salespeople that are going to go out and sell more. Uh, you really have the opportunity to impact a lot of people and maybe their productivity and efficiency and engagement at work, which is going to hopefully drive better financials for the company as well. So we all have... I say we, I'm not in a big company anymore. I have been in the past. But everybody has an opportunity to impact those financial metrics. And so what you're arguing and what you talk about in this book, it sounds like is we need to find a way to make sure that we connect what we're doing back to that, figure out how we're providing value and make sure that we're able to to talk about that so people understand that we're not just there being productive, doing a job, but we really are are or were valuable to the organization we're working in. You got it. You know, and it's interesting because most job descriptions, most job profiles. Most ads 
don't talk about how the role provides value to an organization. You know, I challenge anyone who's listening to just look up a role somewhere and look up a job description. And what they'll find is a, a list of the tasks that are needed in order to do the job, but not specifically how this role can provide value. So this is why it is a little bit of a journey that you need to go on to say, you know, hey, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I'm really excited to be doing it. I do want to ensure that I provide this organization value. And let's talk about, you know, what those ways I can do that are so I can ensure that I'm, you know, satisfying and doing everything that I should be doing to maximize this opportunity. All right. Well, let me ask you specifically for an example. I like to ask all of my guests about their proudest accomplishment or moment in talent development. Where is the place or time where you felt like you really added a lot of value or created a lot of value for somebody? What's your proudest moment? Yeah. Wow. Uh, You know, I've had a, certainly I have had many different client experiences. You know, some have been fantastic. They're at the top of the pyramid. You know, most are in the middle. And then there's a few that probably didn't work out the way that any of us had hoped. But, you know, it's really the ones at the top, you know, the dozen or so people whose careers have elevated. And it's not due to me, but it's really just working with somebody to help get clarity and confidence, be a better communicator, be a better conflict navigator, and who have seen their careers blossom. I mean, you know, I think back on those, I'm still in contact with all those people. They've had, you know, rewarding, wonderful careers. And I think those are the experiences that I cherish the most. I love it. Yeah, you're, you're making a difference in people's careers and their lives. You also mentioned some that didn't work out as well. I also like to ask my guests about their biggest failure or mistake and what they learned from that. So where, where did you trip up? Where, what was your biggest failure, especially in building this business the last 11 years? Oh, well, how much time do we have? <laughs> we only have a few minutes. So, uh, yeah, just from a coaching perspective, I mean, you know, oftentimes when coaches get together, they talk about policies and how do you do this and how do you do that? And have you fired anyone, et cetera? And, you know, I've never had a lot of negative experiences in coaching. However, I, you know, there's just one client that I ended up terminating who I worked with for a year. And this client had no interest in doing the work uh, he or she was doing any different. And he or she alienated all the people that reported to this person. This person was not a great communicator. And I really stuck in it too long. I should have left six months earlier. I was optimistic and hopeful that I could make a difference. And I should have left a little bit earlier. I, I believe there are four things that you need in order for a coaching engagement to work. And one of them is you have to want to be coached. And I violated that rule and uh, learned from it. So I believe that. I've worked with some people and you know, if they don't want to be coached. Uh, but I heard something a long time ago that if you try to coach someone who doesn't want to be coached, that's not called coaching. It's called nagging. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So that, that's what this felt like after a year. I felt like I was just nagging instead of uh, providing this individual new ways to think about things that could be helpful. So, Right, right. Uh, by the way, you mentioned the four things you need in order for a coaching arrangement to work. One of them was you know, they have to be willing to be coached. Uh, what are the other three? So the other three is we need clarity around what it is that we are going to work on. So we need to ensure that you and I, uh, being uh, me as the coach and you as the client, and your boss in a tri- uh, triumvirate, 
are very clear on what it is we want to work on because we could talk about a million things, but we really want to ensure that we're talking about what it is that you need to work on. The third is, in addition to wanting to be coached, there needs to be great chemistry. You know, when those 12 people I mentioned earlier that I've had a great relationship with, we had fantastic chemistry. And when you've got great chemistry, anything is possible. So you need to also interview multiple coaches so you can ensure that you're finding somebody that uh, you really can work with and be honest and candid with in the coaching experience. And then lastly, you need a little time. So many people need to do things differently than how they're doing them today in order to be more successful. And they need a little place and time to practice. It's not like flicking a switch where yesterday you were one way and today you're another. And so organizations who support coaching need to know that so-and-so is participating in coaching. They're learning about new ways to do things and they need a little time in order for it to work. So if you have time, clarity, chemistry, and want to be coached, I don't see any reason why the coaching engagement won't work out. Yeah. And that time piece also sounds like patience as well, right? People get excited and they want to change right away or the boss wants to see a change right away. But these things take time, especially if you're truly changing behaviors for something people, someone has done for a long time. It takes a lot of time and, and patience and practice to, to get that right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the key word. It's behavior. And behavior does take time to recognize and then identify ways that you can do it differently invest in doing it differently, and then practice it. And it takes patience and practice in order to, to get it to work. A lot of bosses do want us to just flick a switch and work with somebody for a month, and suddenly they're going to come out of it like a completely different person. Right. And I'm always going to tell them I can't work that way, and that's not how I work. So it does take a little patience, and it does take a little time. Yeah. Are there any, are there any trends that you're seeing out there as you work with a lot of different leaders that are really affecting or changing the way people work? Well, certainly technology is having a significant impact on how people work. Virtual teams now exist far greater in number than you know ever before. And we also don't have great ways to train people on how to manage and lead virtual teams. And so those are affecting organizations and leaders dramatically. You know, that's, that's the key one that, Andy, I would say that, uh, you know, most people are struggling with right now. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it changes the dynamic, even though it makes it everybody more accessible and we can connect with anyone. You can be in the U.S. working with your team in India and Europe and Asia, whatever. But it's definitely less intimate and harder to build rapport than being with someone in person. Or if there's an odd person out who's virtual, everyone else is in person. How do you make sure you bring that person in? And I've uh, done an interview on that. Ooh, a long while back, I think with Carlo Guevara, uh, might have been episode two or three, where we talked about that because it is something that's becoming uh, more pervasive. Last question, or maybe it's two more. Uh, is there a book that has made a big impact on you or that you often recommend other than your own? There sure is. So I oftentimes give people... So am I allowed to tell you what they are? Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. I realized that was a closed-ended question, but I did want you to actually <laughs> tell me what the book is. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious. So. Yes, there is. Next question. That's right. So I love uh, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And The Culture Code talks about three things that need to be in place for teams or what he calls groups to work well together. So I won't tell folks what those three things are, but if you want to know what three things groups need in order to work well together, I would strongly recommend reading The Culture Code. It's one of the best books that I've uh, read. 
I also give people copies of uh, Radical Candor. So Radical Candor is great for people who are attempting to identify their leadership style. You know, this is another area, Andy, that we could also talk about at a future point in time, which is the need for people to identify their leadership style. What is it like to work for me? What should you expect working for me? And let me tell you, you know, let's talk about what I can expect. It'll be for me working with you, right? So Radical Candor, I think, suggests one type of leadership style, but also talks about, you know, the importance of having a great leadership style. And then the last one is uh, What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. And that's great for leaders who have some behaviors that might be disruptive or disorienting to others. And it's a great way. It talks about the stuff you need to stop doing. So it's like a 20 bad things that people are doing. And it really helps you bring those topics to the conversation. Some great recommendations right there. The Culture Code by Dan Coyle, Radical Candor by Ken Scott, and What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. Excellent recommendations. Appreciate those. And last question I will ask you is uh, for anyone, uh, imagine you've worked with or through people in talent development and you're seeing a lot of what's going on with leaders and how leadership development is being done. For anyone working in talent development that's looking for ways to accelerate their own careers or get better at what they're doing, what's one more piece of advice you would give? So, you know, I'm going to go back to one of my seven visibility accelerators from the book, which is Engage with Industry Associations. I think engaging with industry associations as an employee business professional is critical because it's a great way to meet people, hear about best practices, find people who are doing what you're doing and hearing what they did that worked and didn't work, finding people who can come speak at your organization. You know, there's a great organization uh, national called the New Talent Management Network. Uh, there's a Boston, for example, Citigroup based uh, here that has a meeting, you know, four times a year. I go to those frequently, et cetera. So find a affiliation group that supports your vocation and dig into it deeply. I like it. My listeners know I'm very big on building a network, connecting with other people, whether it's in your industry or your profession, uh, to learn what others are doing, to share best practices. And you never know when you might be hiring someone or need a job down the line and you want to build that network now before you need it. And I will give uh, one plug for myself here because it's not an industry association, but I am organizing my first conference later this year. It's called the Talent Development Think Tank. It'll be in Northern California in November, November 6th and 7th. And uh, it is all going to be all about connecting people and helping people connect, learn, grow, build their networks, um, share best practices, talk about trends, everything else, everything you're talking about. So um, if you want to check that out, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. Um, but otherwise, Ed, you have shared some great, valuable advice today, especially on uh, you know what leaders are dealing with and really raising visibility and value within organizations, something that's valuable for people, whether they work in talent development or any other part of a business. So I want to say thank you. And for anyone that is listening that wants to get in touch with you or connect or follow you, where's the best place for them to go? Sure. They can email me at ed at excelius.com and that's e-x-c-e-l-l-i-u-s or they can go to excelius.com and find contact information there excelius.com great we'll put links to that in the show notes as well uh and thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and advice i really appreciate it so thanks again for coming on the talent development hot seat terrific andy thank you for having me all right take care all right bye-bye 
If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. And we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.